Chapter 11 Feeling nervous with anticipation that Monday, but also extremely excited, Louise stood in the office of Somehow, gazing out onto the high street beyond. Her husband's radio rubbish had finished over an hour ago, and, allowing for the horrendous traffic around those parts at that time in the morning, he ought to be pulling up outside at any moment. She closed her eyes and recalled, with even more excitement, the plan for the day as he had whispered it in her ear during their love-making encore the previous morning. Getting rid of his radio rubbish was the first thing on the list of things to do. Picking her up from somehow was the second. His radio rubbish actually hadn't been especially rubbish that day. Considering that she seldom ever tuned into it, she perhaps did not have much in her mind to compare it to, but he'd made a completely scripted gig sound fresh and entirely spontaneous. Maybe she'd unleashed something creative in him the previous morning. He had definitely unleashed something creative in her. He'd made her feel excited like this once before, when he'd picked her up and driven her to the old Bailey to watch him be utterly devastating. He was still just as attractive to her now as she had found him to be then. And there he was! Damn and blast! Where had she put her sodding handbag? Come on, girl, look lively! He'd abandoned his hopelessly inappropriate little car by the bus stop as was his custom, and had made a special trip all the way to her front door to invite her along with him, properly. It really was just like that trip into London in 1986. He eyed her handbag suspiciously. Oh, by the way, Louise, may I use your telephone? Sure, get it while it's actually working. But there was no need to shout. In mild astonishment, she watched him put his finger to his lips, then wink at her, and then take the mobile from her hand. It wasn't turned on to begin with, but he soon fixed that, and then, quite unexpectedly, left it on the floor just beneath the window, alongside his own. Then, taking her hand, he escorted her back out to his hopelessly impractical motor car, and they all zoomed off together. As far as the plan he'd relayed to her yesterday went, that put them fast approaching the fourth thing to do on the list, which, according to her husband, had been to talk about where they were going and what they were going to be doing when they got there. But he didn't seem all that keen on getting that part of the plan underway. Fair enough. She may as well do it then. Mikey, I'm so pleased you're finally going to go in and see Humphrey. I beg your pardon, Louise, but I haven't the faintest idea what you're talking about. I am certainly not going to be seeing Humphrey. That wasn't what he'd whispered to her yesterday. And what was with the yelling into random bits of the upholstery and the fittings? Are you feeling all right, Mikey? Absolutely. No, if you recall, my dear, I am just driving you to your visit with Mr Sudbury at the prison a visit which was to be conducted in Simon's office down there. Yes, she had been listening to that bit. When you go into the prison, I shall obviously be remaining in the car. Now he was talking at great volume into the seatbelt. 
But I thought you were going to... What? See Humphrey? I can't imagine where you would have got an idea like that from. Um, yesterday? When he'd given it to her? And when he'd given her that idea as well. They drove on together, mainly in silence. That too was very reminiscent of their trip to the Old Bailey in 1986. She'd been reluctant to make any kind of small talk at all then, for fear of either derailing his brilliant thought processes, or leaving him with the impression that she was cheap and common. He in turn had said very little to her, probably for fear of it either derailing his brilliant thought processes, or leaving her with the impression that he was verbose and pompous. Just like she'd done then, she found herself trying to get a good look at Michael out of the corner of her eye. As far as she'd been aware, he hadn't done anything even remotely similar back to her then. And it looked as though he had no intention of doing anything even remotely similar back to her now. He was lost in thought again, bless him. Those were very barrister-like threads he'd selected from his wardrobe that morning. There again, the whole atmosphere of their trip was thick with a highly erotic form of nostalgia. She was quite disappointed when they finally reached their destination. Although the way he dealt with the officer at the main gate gave her an extra special thrill. Mrs Louise Lovewell to visit Mr Sudbury. And you, Mr Lovewell, sir, who are you visiting? Nobody at all. I was giving my lovely young wife a lift. I have no business here. I ask you, what possible business could I have here? I shall be remaining in the car. There he was again, shouting at the top of his voice and directing each word of those shouts to a different part of his car's interior each time. I can't allow that, Mr Lovewell. Sorry. Lovewell QC appeared to get more than a little irate. Louise found his performance hugely exciting. Do you mean to tell me you are going to be forcing me to leave this car and enter that prison? And there's nothing whatsoever I can do about it? I shall insist on seeing the governor straight away in order to complain most vehemently. That's fine, sir. Michael interrupted very loudly, thus completely drowning out the man's Mr Sudbury is expecting you anyway. Well, I mean, if you're going to insist on me waiting in your prison for my wife, then there isn't anything more to be said, really, is there? To prove that point, her husband said nothing more until he'd parked up the car, climbed out of the thing himself, and then walked around to her door to assist her own exit. When they were several paces from the vehicle, he spoke again, much more softly this time. Right then. Let's go and see if there's a nice little room somewhere I can wait in. Roz remained more than a little confused about these warnings she kept receiving from her supervisors. Not warnings about her behaviour or her general lack of efficiency. The former of which she would have found insulting, while the latter would probably have been accompanied by a commendation of some description. These were yet more warnings for her own safety. She found the tone of them quite, quite absurd. For one thing, 
Any public servant worth their salt would have racked up a long list of people who would cheerfully have threatened them with harm. As far as Ros was concerned, her various departments had, generally speaking, been involved with local roads, local planning and local resources. That could, she speculated, have made her a local pain in every local arse, although she struggled to see how she personally should have to take the rap for it. The same applied to anything and everything she'd been tasked with since she was seconded to this office. She'd just been following orders, all the way down the line. That only left those documents then. But she'd already made it clear to her immediate supervisor that she couldn't easily lay her hands on them, and so, for the moment at least, anybody mentioned in them was as safe as houses. She had assumed he would try to find a way to help her get to them, though especially since it looked like she was being watched even more closely than she'd thought. Why wasn't he helping her to get those documents out into the open? That was a question she was determined to find the answer to. Somehow. OK, Simon. Now look, first of all, I do owe you an apology. But that's why I'm here. I want you to sing for me again. As many queen covers as you can. I want them all. You mean you want it all? Oh, by criminy. This favour was going to be exceedingly hard work. That's right, yes. My mistake. I want it all. Sudbury smiled broadly and started rummaging around in his drawers. Louise averted her eyes just in case. As this man had already showed her, he was capable of anything. Ah, the Tom Selleck moustache. Right, well, she could let him get away with that one. It made his Freddie Mercury in general just that tad more authentic. Do you think Michael will be all right, completely on his own, in the interview room? Good voice projection there, Simon. Very impressive. Oh yes, I think so. Just while he waits for you and I to conclude our bit of business. And good voice projection from her as well there. Well done, Lou. But don't you worry about my husband. You just take your time, Simon. He gave her a thumbs up, which in the present circumstances did seem a bit daft. What was that, Simon? I said brilliant. That was much better. The head of department listened into that little exchange with great interest. Before he'd very much sold his soul to the devil and landed this job, he'd been really quite partial to a bit of Queen. Providing Sudbury didn't butcher his covers too much, listening in on this might just prove to be something of a pleasant experience. And those were few and far between these days. Indeed, if Sudbury could knock any of his renditions totally out of the park, that department might just decide to argue for his immediate escape from prison. Why not, indeed? Keeping him on side in the following week or so could prove absolutely vital, one way or another. In the interview room, all by himself, Michael was getting fidgety. He would much rather have had Humphrey in there when he walked in, 
His appearance in the place was, after all, completely unexpected. That would have been a remarkable entrance and no mistake. As it was, that power would now devolve to Humphrey. Bloody Humphrey! At least in this room, reserved for legal counsel to provide a reassuring shoulder for their client to lean on, any conversation they had would not be overheard. Right, the sound of boots in the distance. No noticeably feminine footwear alongside, but maybe with a pair of masculine feet inside them, they all sounded the same. Right. Pull yourself together then, Lovewell. Now then, what sort of look were we aiming for? Let's see. Casual demeanour? Hands thrust deep into your pinstripe pockets? Or sitting impatiently on one of the two chairs, scribbling notes of great importance on a piece of paper resting on the desk, so Humphrey could see how busy you really were? Bugger it. He hadn't thought to bring any paper. Fine. In that case, the first impression he gave would have to be casual. He could still make frequent checks of his watch to let Humphrey see how busy he really was. And he would still retain all the power in the room, since the boy wouldn't dare to sit down until he did. Right then. Eyes on the door. And love well. Remember to breathe. No, seriously. Remember to breathe, or you'll pass out... Hit your head on something and the wretched boy will die laughing. Well, well, well. Sweet Gypsy Rose himself. Humphrey had spent so long waiting for this moment that the reality of it quite took his breath away. There were so many things he wanted to say to this git. There were too many to even process properly with the result that they all began fighting each other for the honour. What was required was an eloquent and heartfelt statement, which would leave Lovewell QC in no doubt whatsoever as to what his son thought of him and his cowardice and desertion in the line of paternal duty. Failing that, what was required was an abridged statement, which outlined why his father was an absolute tosser, delivered before Lovewell QC could get in there with a list of his own grievances, and get the focus completely shifted onto him, as usual. Or failing that, what about a wisecrack about the absurd length of the great man's hair these days? Or failing that, just anything, anything at all, to prevent Lovewell QC from setting the tone of things, as usual. Well, you took your time, I must say. What's the matter? Too busy to come and see me? Something just like that. Brilliant. What a pity Humphrey hadn't thought of it first. Goodness, his father really was a piece of work, wasn't he? Humphrey eyed the elderly figure with some amusement. His preferred course of action would have been to fight his father's sarcasm with its own younger doppelganger and be equally caustic in his own reply. However... There was every chance Lovewell QC might take exception to such a predictable sort of approach and simply about turn and get the hell out of there. Hello, sir. Sir? Whatever happened to Dad, then? 
That was a fair comment. In the moments of weakness, just before and immediately after being told he would be going to prison, Humphrey had been confused enough emotionally to refer to his father as dad. Bodily contact had been made too, and not the sort which had historically required an ever-obliging leather belt to serve as some type of emotional go-between. But that was then. Any news on my appeal? I don't know why you're asking me that question. Pleading guilty, I ask you. You truly are your own worst enemy. Not while his father lived and breathed, he wasn't. You put yourself in here. You're an adult, in all but mind anyway. And as a legal adult, you must deal with the consequences of your actions. Yes, all right. Humphrey was well aware of all that. In this particular case, your actions may not have been criminal, but they were criminally stupid. Absolutely no argument there either. All I could do was mitigate on your behalf. I know. Arguably, I have paid a far greater price than you over the past four years. Oh, you reckon, do you? Unequivocally. Humphrey had been expecting the conversation to get round to his father in some way, shape or form. That was just the sort of self-centred windbag he was. But it would have been nice if the great man had had the courtesy to make his son feel nice and comfortable first. There were two chairs in that room, and there were two people in that room who could have benefited from using them. Neither of whom could now be the first to show that kind of weakness. Lovewell QC's keen eye for detail quickly picked up on his son's furtive little glances towards the chair nearest to him. Excellent. His own legs weren't as young as they used to be, but until Humphrey decided to plonk himself down, his father couldn't even dream of making the first move. Oh, do take a seat, by the way. I imagine you're completely exhausted. No, thanks. What do you mean by that? What a ridiculous question. All he'd meant by that was that he realised Humphrey had been stuck in there alone for four years, and while Michael couldn't fix anything about that situation quite yet, he understood that the boy had suffered greatly. A weaker man might have conveyed all that with a gratuitous and insincere show of affection. Lovewell QC had simply gone with a few well-chosen words. Why he hadn't selected a well-chosen tone of voice to go with them was a mystery. Well, it hadn't taken long for the great man to show his true colours, had it? Fine, then. This was war. Of course, I know you're getting on a bit, so if you need to take the weight off, then please do. No, thanks. And what do you mean by that? What a ridiculous question. He was getting in a belated dig about his long-haired father's age. That was what he meant by that. Naturally, he should have just kept his mouth shut and sat down on the nearest chair himself. But that sounded a bit too sensible. In other words, it did not sound at all Humphrey. Is there some special reason why you've suddenly decided to visit me now? After four long years at this address? Naturally there was. 
and Michael would get to it when he was good and ready. Fortunately, with an extensive back catalogue of Queen hits for Humphrey's governor to showcase to Louise, he would have a fair bit of time to explain things before he and his wife were shown the door. Four years indeed. I trust you've been using your time in here productively. How do you mean? Presumably the occasional ten rounds with his father's minions hadn't qualified as being productive in the great man's mind then. I mean, I assume you've been working towards some useful qualification in something relevant. It wouldn't hurt your job prospects. Humphrey almost laughed. Almost. I'm not thinking that far ahead. Well, you damn well ought to be. It's tough out there for all of us, you know. You'll need all the help you can get, not only as an ex-prisoner, but as someone who, as far as I can see, stole a living for the most part in any case. Gee, thanks. Sod you, then, old man. That chair would do nicely to sit down on, thanks very much. And that one would serve as a nice, handy footstool. I'll tell you what I've been thinking, sir. Oh, yes, a raised eyebrow. So, he doubted Humphrey was capable of any advanced thought processes at all, eh? Right then. I've been thinking it would be much easier if I were to just start all over again. Good idea. Some type of useful career would be a jolly good start there, I'd say. No, no. I mean literally start all over again. From the beginning. As someone else. Somewhere else. Michael plunged his hands deep into his pinstripe pockets. Then he let out a deep breath and grabbed the back of Humphrey's footstool, almost breaking both of his son's heels as his legs landed heavily upon the floor. Only a few minutes later than advertised, the two Lovewells sat facing one another across the table. Are you trying to tell me you've got some sort of operation lined up? Because if you are, you can come right out and say it. What with decades worth of women's wear and this new little foray into inexplicable violence on account of not being comfortable as yourself, it will come as no surprise to anyone. Believe me. Good grief. His father didn't know him at all, did he? The latest craze in modern society seemed to be bespoke gender fluidity as and when the mood took you. In other words, it had somehow almost become the norm. In even more other words, because of that, it was instinctively an idea that Humphrey could never have entertained. Even if he'd wanted to. No, sir. I'm trying to tell you I wish I could just go to sleep one night and... start again. Somewhere else. Although, having said that, he was so tired at the moment that if he never woke up at all, he couldn't have cared less. His father fixed him with his best courtroom stare while giving an airing to his best courtroom pause. He was running that entire sentence through a variety of different filters. Well, that might be the answer for some people. Other people, perhaps. But not for us.
Wait a minute. Us? Are you trying to tell me you have days when you wish you could go to sleep and never wake up? The Lovewell QC ego turned that question away at the door. We're not quitters, boy. You know why? The boy shook his head. Because we're both in the same leaky old boat. Neither of us can bail out now for fear of leaving the other one behind to claim victory as the biggest loser. We're both losers, though. But it's a question of scale, though, isn't it? My fall has been much greater than yours. If I can remain positive, then so can you. You're not the one they sent to prison. That depends on which definition of that word you're using. This was an unsettling glimpse into the great man's way of thinking. It was shocking indeed to see him, shedding his arrogance and laying bare his vulnerability like a nightclub stripper. Humphrey felt a sudden urge to tuck a metaphorical tenor in his g-string. You know what, sir? You're absolutely right. Of course I am. He was clearly getting dressed again, quickly. I'm sure if I ever did give any serious thought to doing something completely stupid. What, you mean over and above the vast back catalogue of examples you've previously given the green light to? Deep breath, Humphrey. Chapter 10. The thought that, as long as I am in your world, your path to the title of greatest loser will at least face some type of decent challenge would really give me the strength I'd need to pull myself together. However temporarily. I can assure you, boy, I view your situation in a similarly harsh light. It's my continuing existence in your world which prevents you from carrying off the title yourself. Anyone listening into that argument might have been deceived by its apparently flippant tone into thinking the two of them were in jocular mood. Nothing could have been further from the truth. Mind you, who on earth could have been listening in? You even have to be the winner of a two-man contest as to which of us is the greatest loser, don't you, sir? You bet your life I do, boy. I'm going to fight you tooth and nail, to the death if necessary, for my chance at that title. You've got nothing left to pull out of the hat in that regard. I'm in prison. Ah, but I'm getting you out of here, whereupon your life will immediately improve, quite possibly at the further expense of my own. What's that supposed to mean? Never you mind. I see. The thing is, though, I don't want to get out. So by your own admission, your life's going to be better than mine. I win. Oh, no, you don't. I can have you out of here today. One phone call. That's all it would take. That wasn't necessarily true. Indeed, Michael might have been making that up. Still... It got the point across nicely. I really don't want to get out. I might need you out. Have you considered that? No. 
No, of course you haven't. You're just selfish, that's your trouble. You mean I'm more selfish than you? I beat you again. Hold on. I wouldn't say that. Michael knew how absurd this argument was becoming. All the same, the fear of being defeated in anything without at least putting up a fight first was a fundamental part of his makeup. You came here all by yourself, did you? Nobody sent you? You didn't have to ask anyone's permission? Damn right on all counts. Apart from not arriving at that location alone. Michael was loath to mention Louise's presence in the building, though. She had far more important things to attend to, and Humphrey would have probably tried to get this meeting cut short so he could take up with her. The Lovewell QC ego was a fragile thing indeed. Well, there you are. I know you'll have been wondering why I couldn't come before, but I'm here now. In body, perhaps, but in mind. His father was probably somewhere between the law and the golf club. Just as always. You see the lengths I had to go to to really get your attention, sir. And I still don't think I've managed it. Based purely on the fact that nothing had changed significantly in Humphrey's approach to that attention-seeking over the past four years, and yet, suddenly, the great man had decided to pay him a visit. That's why you don't want to get out, isn't it? Because you're a manipulative little bastard who's happy to cause me no end of worry, as long as you're in here. Wait a minute now, what? You worry about me? Damn it. Oh, God, look at him. Like a daft little puppy. I wouldn't go so far as to say I worry about you particularly. You cross my mind from time to time, that's all. Come on now, Lovewell. Tell him you think about him all day, every day. You might even tell him how much you love him while you're about it. Speaking of which, what the hell did you think you were playing at, beating up every Tom, Dick and Harry I sent in here to look after you? Humphrey Lovewell was now modelling a little something from the incredulous range of expressions. I assumed that was what you expected me to do. I was being a man. As per your own instructions, sir. Technically, those instructions had only applied to the manner in which he had taken the news of his original punishment. This old git hadn't bothered to remain on the scene long enough to clue him in on how he was supposed to manage after that. But that was probably too subtle for the great man. But they were all bringing you women's wear. Indeed, which was all good quality and from which he doubtless could have derived immense comfort during the hell of these past four years. Not that he had deserved anything other than the loneliness and misery he had very much brought upon himself, which, in a funny kind of way, had brought comfort enough. They also, all of them, planned on telling the whole world I was their personal property. I know. What? It was supposed to keep you out of trouble. 
I was trying to help you. What's wrong with that? You've got to be joking. Besides, I sussed the whole thing out. They were never going to thump me back. Not with me being the great Mr Lovewell QC's son and all. If there was a god listening in anywhere, he would fix it for his father to find the tone of sarcasm there utterly inescapable, wouldn't he? You ought to be grateful I even referred to you as such, with the disgrace you've brought to that name. Okie dokie. That was a good advert for a healthy dose of atheism anyway. I'm well aware of all that. That's why I'm staying in here. You what? Safest place for me, I reckon. And you can call off your minders. I don't need a belt from anyone. Except from the great man he'd managed to disappoint so consistently. Michael would have taken his belt to the boy at that very instant, had he thought for one moment that the prison staff, who were almost certainly listening outside the door, would let him. It was the nearest action he could think of which would even begin to hint at just how much he loved this idiot, in the absence of the words he wouldn't ever now be able to force himself to say. Humphrey was highly unlikely to have believed them in any case. Bloody Humphrey! I am going to get you out of here. And it'll be any day now. You mark my words. And then Lovewell QC could embark upon the next phase of his legal career, without the baggage associated with having a son squandering his life away in prison. Not that any of that had precipitated this sudden visit. Humphrey could think whatever the hell he liked on that subject. So you can get me out. Ah, at last. Absolutely. This week. Why this week? Michael shrugged casually. It's just the way the stars have aligned themselves this week. Humphrey folded his arms. What you mean is, it's convenient for you this week. Blast this damn boy. All right, it is convenient for me this week, yes. But if it wasn't, I wouldn't have been in a position where I could fix that sort of thing for you in the first place. Now just shut up and listen, would you? You never even bothered to come to see me to explain any of that. Not once in the last four years. Of course not. Even if he'd been allowed to. What would have been the point in presenting himself to his son as a weak and feeble figure? Humphrey would have laughed him straight out of the building. Never mind all that. I'm here now. And I'm going to get you out. Just be told. And then what? And then you'll be out. He really was as dense as a bowl of porridge, this boy. But I've just told you I don't want to get out. And I just told you I am getting you out. This conversation could easily go back and forth like that forever. What's out there for me now? Flaming hell. What was out there for anyone? Truth be told, Humphrey probably had a lot more going for him than Michael himself. 
He was almost certainly looking at a longer timescale upon which to plan his future. All right then, sir. What was it I did for a living on the outside? That's a question I often used to ask myself. I was a life coach, right? If you say so. That's a job which needs no qualifications, requires no real skills, and could be performed quite adequately by most of the population. Right. So what you're saying is, you were even more useless than I thought. What I'm saying is... Have you any idea of the sort of blokes who, for whatever reason, wind up in here? Michael was tempted down the road of flippancy, with a witty barb about defendants who had not had the good sense, or in recent times even the realistic possibility, to engage him. But strangely, he thought better of it. If you take out the illiterate, the drugged up, and the mentally challenged, there would only be me left in the place. Michael chewed on the inside of his cheek, pondering whether or not to break the news to his mentally challenged son that, guess what, he wouldn't be sitting there either. You keep looking at your watch. I get it, you're busy. So why don't you just go? In fact, please do. Humphrey got to his feet and took a step towards the door. Look, it's not that. Really. Louise is with the governor at the moment and listening to him running through a few of his songs. She claims that was your idea. Humphrey actually smiled at that piece of relatively trivial news. Not for her to come here it wasn't. But yes... I was hoping she would help him find some way of channelling his frustrations. You weren't hoping she would come and see you at all? The boy shook his head. I just wanted you to come here. That's all. Now you have, that's fine. I wanted you to see for yourself how I'm dealing with things. As a man. But you don't have to deal with anything anymore. I'm getting you out. I keep telling you I'm not interested. Michael thumped down hard on the desk with his fist. In case you're interested, I'm not remotely interested that you keep telling me you're not interested. I hope we understand each other, boy. The possibility of that happening would have to be a remote one. I can do great things in here, sir. I can actually help people. When you're not knocking seven bells out of them, do you mean? That's just your cronies. Anybody else would, as likely as not, have told tales of Lovewell Junior's kindness and perpetual generosity, most especially when it came to taking the blame for things he'd had nothing to do with, so they could get back out into the real world and get on with their lives. Although... Even he wasn't quite sure whether his motives for doing so were quite as pure as they may have appeared. The whole thing was a bit of a minefield, really. But at least in here, he had a certain degree of control over his own destiny. Evidently not in the matter of any fixed date for getting out, but most definitely in extending the time he would be obliged to remain in.
This is proper life coaching, you see, sir. I don't see the problem, boy. I'll get you out and you can help all those people on the outside. Yes, the idea of the great man getting him out was the problem, right enough. He was far too late on that score. No thanks. Just forget all about me. Oh, you'd like that, wouldn't you? Manipulative little sod. You seem to have managed all right so far. Oh, there was just no point talking to the boy once he'd tapped into his inner toddler like this. He'd be hysterical, screaming blue murder and rolling around on the floor next. A good belt really would not go amiss here. Sodding prison and its sodding inflexible rules. So you won't even think about doing me this one small favour? Oh, I see. So getting out of here would be for your benefit only, not mine. Buck up, Mikey. You're giving this little git far too much ammunition. No, of course not. You'll get something out of it. And if eventually you don't like it, you can rob a bank or something and get yourself sent straight back here. I won't interfere, I promise you. You can rot in here forever after that, for all I care. Humphrey would know he absolutely didn't mean that, right? But I need to get you out of here now. Stick it, sir. I'm not interested. Look, they didn't have time for a discussion like this one. We can worry about all that when you're out. I see. You get all the credit. And we end up with you giving me a hundred grand to stay in the background and then cutting me dead. Absolutely ridiculous. A hundred grand? That was definitely an overvaluation according to Michael's market. Why don't I see what everyone else sees? I beg your pardon? Other people? Everyone else? Look at you and see a fine figure of a man in every respect. Was Michael supposed to argue there? Whereas I just see a walking, talking asshole. Why do you suppose that might be? Michael jumped to his feet and waved a threatening finger in his son's face. I am going to get you out of here. You mark my words. And it's going to cost me. That absurd new television format would make him the laughing stock of every genuine court in the land. Although the idea of taking counsel for the prosecution with him as they both lost the respect of their peers was of some comfort. It had a Sherlock Holmes and Professor Moriarty sort of feel to it. Except that Lovewell QC was highly unlikely to find himself brought back from the professional dead because of any pressure from the public. Or anyone else. It's not going to cost you anything because I don't want to get out. I've got nothing more to say. Not to you, not to anyone. Humphrey got up casually and went across to thump on the door. It was opened instantly. Proof positive that the prison staff had probably been standing outside with their ears pressed against it the whole time.
Not that they would have learned very much from the conversation which had just taken place. Lovewell QC didn't feel as if he had, so what on earth were their chances? He hadn't even managed to part from the boy on good terms. Humphrey's commitment to the vow of silence had been as good as his word. Bloody Humphrey! Chapter 12 Mr John Ball and his wife Barbara ran into Mr Toby Tyler Watt and his husband Justin on the steps of the Splink Motel. All three gentlemen first of all attempted to show Mrs Ball a slice of chivalry by fighting over which one of them would open the door for her. However, fully briefed on modern women's attitudes towards such disgusting displays of sexism, and fully aware that her husband was only behaving like that in order to impress two complete strangers, definitely not her, she stood her ground and refused to be any part of it. Mr and Mr Tyler Watt were amused, but not entirely surprised. They decided next, on some telepathic level, to defer to the age of Mr Ball in order to sort out who was next in line to be selected for special treatment. He was well aware of the older generation's attitudes towards discrimination on the basis of a twirly bus pass, meaning that he too felt obliged to refuse the offer of a fast-track entrance. He would have been more than happy to have held the door open for one of the two young gentlemen before him, had he not also been completely aware of how society treats people who make assumptions on the basis of appearance. Which one of the gents would he give priority to? That was the thing. And on what basis could he subsequently and no doubt pathetically justify his decision when the inevitable challenge from the other one came in. Meanwhile, in the Tyler Watt corner, there was a ridiculous level of apprehension involved with the idea of either of them simply stepping through the door and setting a precedent. Having managed to offend both of these strangers already, they realised, for the first time since their marriage, that their own boundaries when it came to who wore the trousers in the relationship were not as clear-cut as they might have imagined. Walking through a door someone else was holding open, and walking through in any random order, wouldn't have been a problem at all. It was the notion of one of them showing he thought his beloved was weaker than him. That would have been quite unforgivable. They were just on the cusp of posting their dilemma, a few selfies, and their thoughts and feelings on the entire situation onto their mutual collection of social network pages when the problem was solved for them. Are you bloody people going to be standing around on my steps all afternoon? Remarkably, the arrival of this stony-faced inquisitor managed to bring the quartet back into some form of harmony almost instantly. Each of them took two steps back in their own particular cardinal direction, before the order in which they entered was determined by a hard stare that slowly fell upon each one of them in turn. With a selfishness that was just so typical of her, Sandra had taken herself and her phone off for a walk down to the shops, leaving Anthea alone to sit and worry about the imminent arrival of her four guests for the week. She really had worked herself up into a tizzy by the time she'd heard them coming up the front steps. Fortunately, their apparent reluctance to attract her attention to their arrival had given her the time she'd needed to convert her nerves into something more appropriate. Something a little more aggressive. Smile, darling. 
stood silently with her arms folded as she watched the younger couple's modern technological shenanigans. Wait a minute, you need to get on my good side. All right, enough was enough now. And you'll have to try and get on mine too while you're about it. What the hell are you doing? Both men looked completely confused. We're just taking a quick selfie to send to our followers. Are you out of your naffing minds? The two little innocents turned to each other for immediate comfort. That wouldn't help them much. Followers? What the hell are they then when they're at home? The two exchanged a look straight from the reign of Bloody Mary. They obviously considered Anthea to be a modern-day heretic. The woman herself was simultaneously trying to make sense of two Marty McFlies. It's social media. Oh, well, if it was social media, that made it all the clearer. These people were taking the piss. How did you make your booking here? Well, after we wrote to you to begin with, you wrote back with a contact number. We had to call that and leave a message on your answering machine, telling you the dates we wanted. Then you wrote back to confirm the price. Then we phoned back and left another message saying we'd PayPal it to you, to which you wrote back and told us to get knotted, and we sent you a cheque, as requested. Demanded. Oh, yes. The mutterer of that comment would pay dearly for the privilege. Oh, yes. The whole process took about a month. Exactly. She'd taken a leaf out of her ex-husband's book with that setup. The only way to tell whether someone was actually serious in their intentions was to make them work so bloody hard in the first place that their intentions could never be doubted. Of course, her ex-husband usually took that to its illogical conclusion, at least as far as their matrimonial bedroom activities were concerned. She'd been tenacious in doing her best to get what she'd wanted, though, even if it had seldom been worth the interminable wait. Actually, no. Scrub all that. Why drag any mental images of Humphrey, snoring his head off after showing her absolutely no enthusiasm whatsoever into the equation? Her scheme for making these people jump through the hoops came straight out of John Hannibal Smith's book of tricks. You wouldn't be able to have someone who looked like George Peppard dress up as a Chinaman and hang around alleyways looking for trade these days, of course. But that was all right, because things like that were par for the course in more exciting times. You complain about having to go through some long, drawn-out process in order to book your room here, but you're forgetting something. This is supposed to be 1986. That look, that one right there, gave a hint as to what she was letting herself in for with this young pair. You must have a computer around here, at least. There's an Amstrad CPC 464 in the guest lounge, if that's what you mean. State of the art. Try one of the driving games. The scenery just appears in front of your eyes. You'll find all the cassette tapes up on the top shelf in there. Yes, that's what she'd said, yes. Cassette tapes. They can't both have been so ignorant of the recent past, surely. Right, 
Maybe it was the prospect of having to stand on tiptoe for a few seconds in order to reach the aforementioned shelf that was bothering them. Did modern-day insurance policies not protect their little charges from things like that then, or what? Nothing was happening. Christ, couldn't these people understand plain English? What about the internet? Oh dear. Yes, well they might both look quickly to the floor. Where, it may as well be emphasised now, they would find no dust or dirt of any kind. Provided they didn't look too carefully at any rate. Time for a condescending little clear of the throat. In the 1980s, I don't think there was much of that type of thing going on up in this neck of the woods. Mind you, I could be wrong. She watched and she waited. Nobody challenged her at all. Good. These people obviously weren't quite as stupid as they looked. Which would have been a feat and a half in itself, she had to admit. Oh, that reminds me. Now then, I don't want to get aggressive about this. Anthea was always impressed with her own ability to lie through her teeth like that. But I'm going to have to insist on confiscating anything you might have with you that is going to break the space-time continuum. Money? Well, that's all different these days, so we'll just have to bend the rules for that one. But we do use cash around here. Flexible friends are completely impractical in the 80s. I'm really talking about gadgets. Gadgets of all types that have no business being in this building. One brave soul felt the need to challenge her. That's a bit strong. You can't just take our things like that. You can have them back when you go out and about. I mean, if you really need to take a selfie up at Oliver's Mount, or tell someone how much you would be enjoying tea at the spa if you weren't concentrating on telling whoever it is how much you're enjoying it, you go right ahead. All I'm saying is, you'll be cheating everyone if you aren't going to take your stay here seriously. I hope I've made myself a bit clearer. Even if her words hadn't done that job for her adequately, she felt sure that the rolling up of both her sleeves, accompanied by the formation of two formidable-looking fists, was sufficient to really get her message across. Now then, I've got a Mr. and a Mr. Tyler Watt. That's right. That's us. So, in terms of authentic 80s experiences, can I just establish how authentic you're thinking? Oh, the works. The whole deal. I mean, when we kayaked down the Amazon, we roughed it in a tent with our guide Pablo. And when we trekked across the Sahara, we drank our own urine. The more authentic, the better. Definitely. Right, Toby, darling? His husband was quick to agree on all counts. Anthea ran her eye carefully over the pair of them before delivering her considered response. I see. You're down for just the one room. That's right. She checked her records again. Your brothers, is that it? Or maybe cousins. We're married. Anthea looked up from her guest ledger and cast an impassive look over them both. I beg your pardon. I said we're married. 
It is 2019, you know. Anthea tutted disapprovingly and moved away. Not around here, it isn't. Two men married to one another? I've never heard anything quite so ridiculous. Next thing you'll be telling me, Cannon and Ball are going to be given their own situation comedy. The woman, shortly to be positively identified as Barbara Ball, piped up now. Plaza Patrol. I like that one. Dear, oh dear. That was the equivalent of Gordon Jackson's Matt character unthinkingly expressing his gratitude in The Great Escape. His end had been relatively quick. This woman would have to endure the rest of her stay, knowing she had outed herself as a fan of that load of tripe. If that young couple there had even heard of it. Strike all that. The programme was as irrelevant and pointless in the current setting as it had been way back in the early 1990s. Would you just take a quick look at that calendar on the wall there? The four of them shuffled off to take in the vista. Remind me, please. What year is this? It should have been apparent to everyone stood standing there that the correct answer to that question was 1986. Remarkably, that was precisely the reply she received. By the way, can I just ask you why you don't have at least an email address for this place? This young pair just didn't seem to be able to get the hang of this. Because it is 1986. A website, then. Ditto. How about a phone? There were telephones in 1986. Barbara Ball had felt the need to stick her nose in as well, then, had she? I have a phone. You all used it to leave me messages. You never answered it. I don't like using it. Besides, it's downstairs here and I'm usually not. The concept of a telephone which couldn't be fitted into the front of her pinny and transported around the place with her was clearly a difficult one for the younger couple to deal with. But you're making people actually write letters. That's harsh. What can I tell you? It's a tough old world, isn't it? Might this be the very first time these two little souls had ever been told that? Goodness gracious. They were in for a shock. I think I understand the sort of authenticity you're talking about. The trouble is, I'm not completely convinced that you do. The Tyler Watts exchanged another one of their deep and meaningful looks. Anthea found herself becoming quite jealous, actually. She and Barney never did any of that. Mainly because the way he looked at her tended to make her too uncomfortable to look back at him at all. Given the speed at which he dumped her two days ago, he must have been a remarkable actor. That was all she could say. She couldn't remember her and Humphrey being able to communicate with one another on that level either. Except, maybe, on just that one occasion. For the majority of which, he'd had her turned round and facing in the other direction anyway. No, but that wasn't right. He had forced her to betray her future husband that evening. There had been no understanding between them other than that. Anthea was glad she'd cleared that up.
God, she was so angry with Humphrey. Are you saying that we're not going to get an authentic view of life in 1986? Not now. Couldn't they tell she was thinking about Humphrey? Couldn't they tell she was thinking about how angry she was with Humphrey? Anthea was glad you'd cleared that up. You will get the most authentic experience I can provide for you. Just like every other guest. That's great. As I mentioned in my original letter to you, my husband Tony and I are both vegan, gluten intolerant and allergic to conventional pillows and bedding. At least that had cleared up which half of the couple was which. Actually, you know what? It really hadn't. These two were almost identical in appearance, with their designer hairstyles, designer beards, designer scarves and designer threads. Or maybe Anthea was just getting old. That would be Sandra's answer, the bitch, when she got back from wherever it was she'd been hiding. Good for you. As I mentioned in my letter back to you, in 1986 that would have meant you were served baked beans on dry toast for every meal. You wouldn't have been able to eat the toast, of course, so your meal would have consisted of only beans. And as for special bedding, that would have been easily solved. You'd have both been kipping on the floorboards. Well, they did say they wanted to keep it authentic. How can you get away with that? Because you're all going to sign this bit of paper telling me I can. Come on now, just think about it. If this place was authentic 1940s era, you wouldn't be popping down to the Anderson shelter with a nut milk latte in your iPhone, now would you? So am I right in thinking there would be no point whatsoever in asking for the code to the Wi-Fi then? No point whatsoever. Case closed. Now then, the balls, is it? That's right, love. I'm John, and that's my Mrs Barbara. Anthea closed her eyes, just for a moment, and rode the crest of an 80s male chauvinistic wave. Sometimes being in for a pound as well as a penny was not what it was cracked up to be. Right. You didn't find it a pain in the proverbial to have to use pen and paper in your dealings with me, now did you? She directed that comment straight at his missus, since writing letters to people like Anthea would no doubt have been considered to be women's work by someone like John. Not at all. I don't get on with these newfangled computers and things, not one bit. We're of a different age, you and I, aren't we, dear? Anthea felt another mild wave of anger approaching. The woman was right, though. They certainly were of a very different age, she and her, and she intended to make sure this woman knew that as soon as she possibly could. Immediately seemed like as good a time as any. It's not that I can't use a computer, you understand. Behind the scenes in this place, I'm very good with computers, actually. The Tyler Watt, who was probably Toby, sparked back into life immediately. Do you think we could have the password to that? I'll pay practically anything. His husband looked at him in clear disgust. Look, we're supposed to be getting the full 80s experience. You can't ruin it all with your selfishness. 
His husband looked hurt. Barbara Ball piped up again. We remember Scabby from the 70s. We were actually here. Was that a fact, Babs? I need to tell you right now. The word scabby is not one that I like. Anthea had sufficient faith in her trusty resting expression to feel sure that the matter was now as good as closed. We were wondering, actually, because we definitely do want the full 80s package, the missus and I, whether we could pretend we weren't married. I beg your pardon? He means we weren't actually married the first time. The landlady was rather disgusted. It's something we often think about. Not that often. Well, whose fault's that? We used to think about it at least twice a week. For about two weeks a year. Anthea sensed that the conversation was drifting off into rather deep and murky water. Apart from anything else, this couple reminded her just a little bit too much of herself and her own ex-husband. Except that, if anything, the specimen before her now looked even more hopeless. How could that even have been possible? You want me to express my disapproval of your circumstances in a manner which will give you some form of excitement? If you wouldn't mind, I think the missus might end up being very grateful. Good grief! We can pretend to be Mr and Mrs Ball. From the look of the Tyler Watts, it wasn't just Anthea who was getting confused here. All right, fine. I'll play along. So you want a twin room on the basis that you're married, but you aren't really, but you are. Exactly. Stone the crows. This pair were going to be hard work as well. I hope you like the extra special little touches we've provided. I wouldn't like to get heavy-handed with any of my guests, but, well, we have put the work in to make your stay here as authentic for the period as possible. There were many ways to skin a pudding. And there were even more to put the fear of God into this bunch of jellies. On the subject of which, you did all bring costumes, I hope. By heaven! What a reaction! I did tell you, didn't I? See, a question like that was all about the phrasing and the intonation. In other words, it really wasn't a question of any description. Not if the person to whom it was addressed had an ounce of sense about them, anyway. Yes, you should have brought with you items of attire appertaining to the 1980s. How else could they hope to fully immerse themselves in the experience? Oh, like costumes? Yes, indeed, Barbara. I'm afraid we didn't. Are you sure you told us? That was a brave old thing for Justin Tyler Watt to say. Brave and ridiculously stupid. I hope you're not suggesting I am any sort of liar. No, I just don't remember you mentioning it, that's all. It was always possible that she hadn't. But irrespective of that, surely it was common sense to bring suitable clobber with you on a trip back in time so you wouldn't draw unnecessary attention to yourself as a visitor there. She would have mentioned a costume for next Sunday, though, wouldn't she?
Well, no matter. You'll find a few bits and pieces around the house that you might be able to use to look less out of place here in 1986. She would have to extend that same invitation to her pesky sister too, wherever the skiving scoundrel had got to. It was bad enough she'd invited herself up to Scarborough in the first place, but she'd also neglected to pack anything which might even remotely have been described as being 80s. That was fine up to a point, and while she spent her every waking moment out and about who knew where. But it wouldn't work while she was in that building every evening, helping to entertain this lot. Which was precisely what she would be doing, once Anthea got a sustained hold of her. What about authentic costumes for Sunday? Because that was definitely in my small print. She thought she'd put it there anyway. If it turned out that she hadn't, well, she'd have to cross that bridge if and when she was dragged to it. Will you be dressing up, dear? That was a good question from Barbara, after a whole host of daft ones. It suggested that she was already well on the way towards embracing her trip back to yesteryear, because she'd regarded Anthea's denim dungaree and baggy t-shirt combo as being totally in keeping with the surroundings. Oh yes, indeed. My husband and I enjoy bringing Wurzel Gummidge and Aunt Sally to life. For old time's sake. And for a good time's sake. Or rather, they used to enjoy doing things like that. Which was to say, she used to enjoy doing things like that. From the speed at which Barney had skedaddled after she chucked him and his suitcase out, she was going to assume he had not been quite so keen. And why would he have been? He was young and gorgeous and wonderful. And she was a saggy and deceitful old bag. His mother could look after him much better than Anthea. As for their little boy, she couldn't even begin to think about that now. Funny, she wouldn't have dreamed of hinting at her and Barney's shared past as those characters to her establishment rival across the road. Yet she just blurted it out with no qualms at all to her quartet of visitors. Odd. Never mind, though. Neither of the couples before her had immediate access to the internet. Oh, Barbara, what now? I always thought Mr Gummidge was a terrifying-looking creature. Didn't you? No. That conversation was now locked down tighter than a maximum security prison. So for Sunday, it's got to be authentic 80s gear, has it? Frankie says relax and all that business. Not quite, John, no. Any other week and that would have sufficed. But not this one. And it wasn't as if she hadn't worn them either. She knew she must have done. I'm afraid that's not going to do. I've brought my leg warmers. Barbara Ball did have a habit of piping up, didn't she? That's right, yes. She's bought her leg warmers. They're authentic 80s memorabilia, them, aren't they, love? You used to wear them to do your TVAM exercises every weekday with Mad Lizzie, didn't you? There was a sharp intake of breath there. Who was that? Ah, of course. This Justin Tyler Watt was a delicate flower indeed, wasn't he? Well, was 
he going to explain the look of complete disapproval, or was she going to have to ask him? He obviously had some sort of point he wanted to make. What's the matter with you? Well, to be absolutely honest, unless this person here is an expert in psychiatric medicine, I find the use of the word mad to be deeply offensive. He was eyeing up the locked cupboard where Anthea had secured all of their gadgets as he spoke. Presumably, if he'd still had access to his phone, the whole story of how he'd just been offended by something that was absolutely nothing whatever to do with him would have been all over social media in no time. I find the use of the word person to be a bit out of order myself. Don't get involved, John. You were in the 1980s now. All that kind of thing could be left behind in the completely inscrutable decade you were taking a break from. Well, I don't know how you label yourself. I wanted to say man, but I didn't want to offend you. Well done, Justin. That was bound to do the trick. But you have offended me. I'm not a man, then. Yes. Well done, Justin. Well, I don't know how you label yourself. I wanted to say man, but... I didn't want to offend you. Well done, Justin. That was bound to do the trick. But you have offended me. I'm not a man, then. Yes. Well done, Justin. You misunderstand me. That's far too simple a label these days. Anthea felt obliged to clear her throat and wave rather languidly at the calendar. The balls and the Tyler Watts both looked, but... From way up there on their high horses, something as subtle as these days being 33 years in the past was very unlikely to register. I'm a bloke, just like you. Not quite. If anything John was wearing could be labelled designer, then Anthea was the Queen of Sheba. So you're cisgender? I'm a bloke, and I'll prove it to you too, if you want to step outside. Either Barbara Ball had grave concerns about precisely what he was going to show them in order to prove his bloke credentials, or she'd seen him run through similar Muhammad Ali routines before. Leave it, John, for heaven's sake. We're on holiday. He's disrespecting me, Barbara. I'm not having that. He's only a wimp. Look at him. You'll kill him. Anthea suddenly found herself in the middle of one of the most absurd disputes she had ever been a part of. Well, one of the most absurd ones that she hadn't personally started, anyway. That's so typical of your generation, isn't it? Judging a person on what they look like, not how they think. She might have to fit a stronger lock to that cabinet. That was another little bit of virtue signalling, which under ordinary circumstances, would have been all over social media in two shakes of a lamb's tail. Not at all. I think you're a prized pillock in every respect. Toby Tyler Watt rushed to stick a foot of his own into his husband's mouth to join the pair of the latters that were there already. Have you ever considered the fact that you might be overcompensating in some way? You seem very keen to keep telling yourself you're a bloke, almost like you're trying to convince yourself. You're saying I'm gay now? Oh, that's right, that's right. The use of inflammatory and offensive words because you've lost your own argument. It was funny, really. 
1986, that word gay might have meant Mr. Ball there was quite happy and relaxed about life. There was an awful lot of work to be done with these four, and Anthea didn't have an awful lot of time. That's right, yeah. We happen to be gay, and I'm sorry you find that offensive, but we are damn proud of it. Proud of what they were, or proud to have got this bloke's back up? Barbara Ball now entered the fray. Have a word? You just started an argument with my husband out of thin air. The Tyler Watts exchanged a look which told Anthea they had form for that type of thing. So did she, of course, although this time she chose to use her superpower for good rather than evil by getting their conversation back on track. We were talking about costumes, I think. Bearing in mind this is supposed to be 1986, but also 2019, and bearing in mind what I told you about the 7th being John Pertwee Day up here this year. He would have been 100 years old on that date. I thought we might mark such a special occasion. The mumbling amongst the assembled rabble did at least confirm her long-held hopes that Mr Pertwee was still enormously popular with the general public. He tended not to be seen as any kind of sex symbol, though, which was helpful. As her experience with Andy MacDonald had shown her, she wasn't really robust enough in the self-confidence department to have considered it worthwhile trying to fight someone else for him. Was he famous for something in Scarborough, then? Not yet, no. You never know, though. We might be the pioneers of something. Just think of that. Right, then. If you just go through to the lounge, we can get a few documents signed and then I'll let you know which rooms I've given you. She remained behind to collect those documents, but also to make sure none of this lot tried to force the lock on that cupboard. That was when she heard the anguished cry. She deduced that it had to be a Tyler Watt, although that brilliant piece of detective work was like shooting fish in a barrel. With both of them stumbling back around the corner looking ashen, she was still none the wiser as to which one she had managed to vocally distress. What's the matter with you? Well, they hadn't booked a week with her in 1986 to receive anything like the kid glove treatment. Do you think he might have a glass of water? She was going to take a stab in the semi-darkness and say this was Justin Tyler Watt who was addressing her. His husband momentarily seemed even more perturbed, wheezing something urgently to his other half. My gosh, you're right. Mineral water, please. We don't do tap water. You never know what's been done to it. Anthea was sure she'd read somewhere that every glass of water should, statistically, contain at least one molecule which had passed through the digestive system of someone like Julius Caesar. Or indeed, a tall and distinguished thespian who was fondly remembered for his scarecrow. What's his problem? I haven't got all day. The man whispered something, apparently mustering up every last bit of strength as he did so. The message evidently got through clearly, if not especially loud, for his husband now looked just as shocked as him. Anthea girl, you've done it again. Jimmy Savile. A quivering finger pointed in the general direction of the guest lounge, where, as Anthea knew perfectly well, 
an autographed photograph of the strange 1980s entertainment mystery man was displayed reasonably proudly. That's right. So? But he's a... he's a monster. Well, he was definitely an odd bod. That was unquestionably true. With little to no actual talent of his own, that was perhaps even more obvious. But a monster? You need to get that picture down and burn it. Good call, darling. Kill it with fire. Anthea sighed and prepared herself to dispatch a few hard truths to these gentlefolk. Remind me again, would you? What year this is? Why, it's 2019. Anthea shook her head firmly. Have another try. Don't be daft. It's 1986, isn't it? Barbara Ball. She was a right know-it-all, was that lady. Still, in this instance, she was also dead right. Indeed. And I think you'll find that in 1986, Mr Savile, while being widely regarded as an eccentric figure, was actually rather popular in the opinion of the public. He's widely regarded now as having been the devil incarnate. By whom? By, like, everyone. Everyone in 2019, correct? And for a few years before that, but not in 1986, correct? Well, I always knew he was a wrong un. Really, John? Really? Absolutely. In fact, me and the missus were planning on going down the esplanade later and waving our fists up at his old flat. We'll come with you. Well, at least the two couples had finally established that they did have something in common. Quite right. As I say, I always knew he was a wrong un. Oh, what complete and utter balderdash. Did you cobblers... This is 1986, and believe you me, in 1986 you'd be getting your plimsolls on and accompanying Jimmy on a run round the block, as would any number of other people. Not children, surely? Oh, Toby. Here, find yourself with a map of the South Cliff Gardens and leave this conversation to people with a bit of common sense, all right? Of course, children. I'll tell you what. Knowing what I know now, I wouldn't be afraid to go straight up to the bloke and perform a citizen's arrest on him. I'd perform a swift kick to his ghoulies. Barbara Ball was talking out of her backside, as usual. But that's just the point. You'd have to know what you know now. Or, to be even more subtly specific, they'd have to know what they thought they knew now. Yeah, so? Anthea took another deep breath. She was going to have to explain things very, very slowly for the benefit of these people. The entire premise of Splink is that this is, effectively, a little time capsule. A time machine, indeed. But that only works when you take things completely as you find them. 
You can't shine a modern light on a historical situation and judge it according to information you wouldn't have had at the time. That's just being biased. Yeah, but the bloke was a wrong'un. Yes, he probably was. But the last time she'd looked, you needed a little bit more in the way of damning evidence before you could act as anybody's judge, jury and executioner. Chapter 13 Roz was beginning to feel seriously cheesed off with her existence in general. She'd done nothing of any value so far that Monday. Nothing. And yet she'd received two further warnings about her safety. So much for leaving all the decisions to her cardigan for the day in an attempt to lie low for a bit. She'd heard nothing back from any of the people to whom she'd reached out over the weekend. Nothing. And Sandra still hadn't had the gumption to get back in touch and say whatever she'd originally intended to. The most frustrating thing by far was that there were clearly big moves afoot all around her, and yet Roz was limited in what she'd been able to find out about them. At least Louise had been in touch. That was something. That idea of hers to go to the prison and allow Humphrey's governor to let off a bit of steam had been a brilliant one, and Ros had made sure she knew it. She also managed to convey her thoughts to Louise on the subject of making sure the requests for girls, girls, girls were very much knocked on the head forthwith. Fine, she needed to talk to Barney, but that method of attracting either his or his wife's attention obviously wasn't working. Unfortunately, events had already overtaken them by that point, in that someone somewhere whose identity nobody would subsequently be able to swear to, had taken it upon themselves to get that song played absolutely everywhere. A song like that, in this day and age. It was the women, predictably, who had first begun to raise merry hell on the matter. Yes, the song seemed to be a sexist pile of old rubbish, but that was probably down to women these days not having much of a sense of humour. That had been the initial views of some brave, dissenting female voices, before they were encouraged to change the way they looked at things by the sheer groundswell of opposing opinion. Naturally, the men of today had been quick to get behind that opposing opinion, and as far away from the views of the writer of that song as it was possible to be. Some men had argued to the last that people in general these days lacked a sense of humour, and ought to be fighting for the writer's right to express anything he likes, whether or not they happen to agree with it. But they were gradually being taken down too. Like General Custer and his men at the Battle of the Little Bighorn. The identity of the writer of the song had yet to be established, thanks in no small part to an administrative cock-up at Somehow, as well as a bit of rejigging of one or two sources of digital information on the part of Roz and her department. But with things moving so quickly, that was only ever going to buy them some temporary time. The whole thing bubbling up that fast had very much caused Sir John Bampton's name to be almost completely forgotten by the public, which was mightily suspicious as well. This Operation Strawman was clearly multidimensional in its remit. That made it all the more important that Roz found out a little more about it. 
which was why she had decided to take a little trip later on that afternoon in order to try to get a few answers from a different department. As she'd feared, trying to get information in this way had been like getting blood out of a stone. Honestly, Roz, I've never known anyone like you for issuing freedom of information requests. He was quite right to use that rather scathing tone with her. She realised that. Trying to find out something she was not being employed to give two hoots about? She was a disgrace to the public service, really. You know how it is around here. It's the only way you can damn well find out anything. Even with all her topish security status these days. I don't know why you're bothering. Don't ask questions. That's my policy. That had usually been Roz's too, to be fair. Asking questions did tend to lead to the occasional answer. Sometimes an answer you really wished you'd never asked for. In this case, though, she'd already broken that rule way back in 1986, when the answers had been too much for her senior management to deal with. Now was the time to complete the work she'd already started. Well, I am going to ask those questions, and I would appreciate some honest answers. Really, it was as if she had just dropped into the scene from the planet Venus. Here she was, an experienced member of the public service herself, asking a fellow servant for some honest answers. He looked shocked by the request too, quite understandably. You know what it's like, Roz, with all your experience of working in local government. If that is not a contradiction in terms. They were all at it. What was this then? Variations on a theme of Roz being lazy? These people needed to get a new act and sharpish. She was a hard-working and conscientious member of the team these days. She had to be. She had no choice. If she took her eye off the ball, even for a second, she invariably ended up with more problems than she knew what to do with. Do you mind? I do happen to work, and work damn hard in local government nowadays. But this is still the only way you can damn well find out anything. What is your job title these days? Haven't a clue. They keep changing it on me. To the extent that she'd been obliged to submit a freedom of information request to try and find out, with predictably and pathetically pointless results. Well, in any case, you must address your request to the right person. How do I find out who that is? He paused. Why not fill out a freedom of information request? I don't think that's funny. What a complete waste of my time. Thank you. Such pride in his complete ineffectiveness. How disgusting. Oh no, hold on. Roz was drinking deep from the well of that particular public service deadly sin long before this fella. We're just pawns, you and I, Roz, in a much bigger game. Obviously. 
Never mind all that. I want answers. Well, you must put in a freedom of information request. That's what I'm bloody doing. Yes, but I'm the wrong department. For a brief but very illuminating moment, Ros suddenly found herself in the same position as countless members of the public had done when trying to deal with her over the years. She'd seldom thought about it from their point of view, the one where they'd seen her as an obstructive bitch. It was frustrating indeed to be on the other side of things. Well, so how do I find the right one? Are you feeling lucky, Ros? Not particularly. If she was, she would have found a 44 Magnum around about now. I'll go above you. Beware. I don't blame you at all. But you know, probably better than I do, that there are as many levels above a mere pen pusher like myself as are appropriate for whatever I'm obliged to hide. Well, of course she knew that. She hadn't just dropped into the scene from the planet Venus. I am not happy. In all the years we've known each other, Roz, I've come to regard that as business as usual. Oh, very funny.